In today's gospel, we see the authority of Christ. I think of that particular word that appears in the first couple sentences. Let's read through the gospel today. Jesus and his disciples went as far as Capernaum, and as soon as the Sabbath came, he went to the synagogue and began to teach. And his teaching made a deep impression on them, because, unlike the scribes, he taught them with authority. What does he mean by authority here? How did he teach with authority? In Greek, exousia could mean a lot of things. Um, could mean power, could mean authority, could mean dynamic or dynamism. Now, I don't think it means dynamic. I think it would be a bad translation. I mean, he's not being like, ta-da! <laughs> it is a great presentation. No, when he speaks with authority, even the demons will fly. And so there's something, there's something to his word. Now let's read how the demons will react. Because remember, he's walking in the synagogue and it's going to shock everyone. I mean, I'm sure it didn't happen every day that someone possessed cries something out and then they're exercised. The demons leave. Well, let's look at it. In their synagogue just then, there was a man possessed by an unclean spirit, and it shouted out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus said sharply, Be quiet, come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw the man in convulsions with a loud cry and went out of him. It's important. I want to hone into what the devil actually says. And we see also clear authority to his words. It's almost as if his words have power unto themselves. And in looking at this passage, you find, yeah, he um, has an authority by his very presence. And it shows it in the words, what he says, and then in the gestures. He actually proves it by expulsing the demon. Now, the demons have interesting words that they say back. Uh, they say, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Where do they get that from? Why do they think that Jesus would be the one that's come to destroy them? Well, it's rich in the Old Testament, rich in scriptures, and the demons certainly knew scripture and know scripture. We often say they know it better than pretty much anyone else, the angels do, because they're so brilliant that they remember every single passage and understand it. Maybe they don't, in this case, so far as they're demons, understand it in the light of faith, but they do remember the words. And so facing it, they say, "How can, have you come to destroy us? And they must be thinking of... Uh, many passages, in fact, but surely the very first passage that prophesies the coming of the Messiah, which is Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelion, a famous passage where it says that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, and the serpent will bite his heel. And he does that. We see that the serpent crucifies Christ, but that doesn't kill him forever. He rises from the dead. But at the same time, 
Christ, by his cross, crushes the reign of the devil. And so they're looking for this one that's going to destroy their reign, destroy their influence, and they hope it's not him. And the whole thing about the Holy One of God, too, they recognize that he is that Holy One of God. And it's this term that's taken from Aaron, uh, or the high priest, who had the Holy One of God written across his forehead on a gold plate. Now, um, are you the one, the Messiah, the promised one? Are you that new high priest, is what they're crying out? That one that will end our reign? But Jesus silences them. It's not the time to be speaking about it. So he says, be quiet. That's always very interesting in Mark, how uh, Jesus will only allow the news to come out when he's standing before Pilate, where he is the Messiah. And so until then, he's on his way towards Calvary. He's on his way. And so we read in the Psalms, do not harden your heart to his authority. Do not harden your heart as in Meribah and Massah, where they saw all the works of the Lord. They saw the rocks be tapped and water flow out from them. They saw manna in the desert. They saw the birds come and give them meat to eat, and yet their hearts still hardened. Or like Pharaoh, obviously, where he saw the ten plagues, and he still hardened his heart. When you hear the authority of the Messiah, when you see his works, do not harden your heart. And so we find this sense of authority. But going a, a step further, we see that he is also the promised one. The first reading refers to this prophecy that Moses made that a prophet like unto himself is going to come. And so the new Moses, remember Moses spoke with authority, he gave the law. Now, the new Moses, which was a prophecy of Christ, will give the new law. And we are to listen to him and not harden our hearts, as at Meribah and Massah. I would like to also speak about the second reading. St. Paul speaks quite a bit about celibacy in 1 Corinthians 7, and it is really important because today celibacy is under attack, and I would like to address it a little bit. When St. Paul is speaking about it, he'll speak about the this world and the next world, and he'll say celibacy is living in this world for the next world. We're living for heaven when we're celibate. It's as if our only love, our only life, our beloved becomes God and God alone. And, you know, you know, Jesus does the same. He, when he speaks about marriage, he'll speak about the this world and the next world. He'll say, in this world we marry, in the next world we'll be like angels. And here in this passage, when uh, St. Paul is speaking about it, he will recommend, actually, the celibacy for those that can, those that don't get overwhelmed by it, 
he will recommend celibacy. Um, he'll say things like, I would like to see you free from all worry. An unmarried man can devote himself to the Lord's affairs. All he need worry about is pleasing the Lord. But a married man has to bother about the world's affairs and devote himself to pleasing his wife. He is torn two ways. And it's true. A man who's married has to worry about the bills. A man who devotes himself entirely to the Lord may have to worry about bills, but they're the bills of the Lord. <laughs> you know, and it's true that you get divided. And if you are able to give yourself entirely to the Lord, to this next world, then praise the Lord. It's absolutely wonderful. Like, we know uh, St. Paul, St. John, St. John the Baptist, even Jesus himself were celibate. And the Jews definitely had a strong tradition of celibacy, even if it was never the majority. We have the Essene communities, the Alexandrian communities. Hard evidence that celibacy has been a main part. It was not a medieval invention. And so I wanted to leave you with that thought. The beauty of celibacy, of someone who is able to devote their entire life to loving the Lord and living of heaven as much as we can already on this earth. Wonderful. I hope you can take these two points home. First, we accept the authority of Christ and his word, and we live of it in our very bones and depth of our heart. We do not let our hearts be hardened. Second, um, we are called to live in this earth already of the next. And may your hearts rest in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.